So we're going to go through the book of Philippians. We started it back when we got cut off by the COVID thing, and we got through uh, the middle of chapter 3, and so we'll finish Philippians, and I anticipate we'll be finished about uh, the end of the year, and then we'll start in the book of Colossians. And so we'll take half a dozen verses each week and look at them in depth and make application to them. I'll try to tell a few jokes in the process, and uh, we'll go from there. This passage tonight uh, is one that I've already taught on recently. If you were in the morning, Sunday morning class on prophecy, I covered this a little bit, and, but it's a topic that you can't go over too much, so it'll be a little bit of a repeat, but there'll be some other stuff in there as well. I uh, worked years ago, I worked a construction job for two years, and I, uh, we drilled holes in rocks and filled it full of dynamite and blew the rock up for rock crushers and road construction. And uh, I worked with another fellow. He and I were partners with the track drill and the powder uh, loading and everything, and his name was Doc. And he was the meanest, grumpiest guy that has ever lived on the planet Earth. And, uh, and so I worked with him, and it was a bit of a chore getting along with him. But he would sing. He couldn't sing for beans, but he, he had a couple of songs he sang. And one of his favorite ones that he sang, uh, I think it was uh, Charlie Daniels, a country western song that came out years ago. It's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, something along that line. And uh, I don't know if I've got the information right, but that was basically the gist of what he sang. He didn't know the words. It was mostly uh, just, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in other, every way. And he would kind of sing that to a variety of tunes most of the day. And I remember listening to him sing, looking at him and thinking, Doc, you're not close to perfect in any way. I didn't say that. That was just my thought. But uh, he still sang the song pretty regularly. So we're going to talk about that tonight. Uh, being perfect and uh, the possibility of it and uh, the pursuit of it. And so Philippians chapter 3 verse 12, not that I have already obtained it, <clears throat> obtained it, or I've already become perfect. So Paul says, I'm not there yet. Not that I have already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on, I press on. I work hard, I'm diligent, so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Uh, in other words, he's saying, I'm pressing on so that I might become the kind of person that Jesus envisioned me to be when He died for me, when He saved me. I press on so that I may lay hold of that, that I may become the person that Jesus wants me to be. One thing I do, one thing I do, not a lot of things on his to-do list. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, that's all the things that he's done in the past, all the wrong that he's committed, the sins he's committed, all that's in the past. I forget what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. There's says it again, I press on toward the goal, toward the goal. Yesterday was my birthday. Most of you know that I've reminded you regularly. Did you forget my birthday, Jim? No, okay. Um, I press on toward the goal. Now, one of the things I do is I have my goals for the year done on my birthday. Your year goes from January 1 to January 1. My year goes from October 27th to October 27th. It's just, you know, easy to remember. And so my goals are done October 27th. I usually start writing them October 1st, and then I pursue them for the year. 
and I have 73 goals. The reason I have 73 is I'm 72. And one of the goals, the last of the goals, is read my goals every day. So I consider that to be a Mickey Mouse goal that I put on my goals every year. So I always have seven, one more than I am old. Next year I'll have 74 goals. And uh, there's some really difficult ones in there, and then there's some kind of easy ones. Uh, some of them I've already accomplished, and I just got started yesterday on them. And so, but I have goals, and I read my goals every day, and I press on. I work hard, diligently, to accomplish my goals. Now, I typically will accomplish about two-thirds of them in a given year. I consider that to be a pretty good percentage. If I get too many done, I think it's been too easy. So if I got two-thirds of them done each year, I'm not doing bad, and uh, I'll roll the goal I didn't accomplish into the next year, or I might just chuck it, uh, because sometimes I don't accomplish them because I lose interest in it, and uh, I then don't pursue it. But Paul said, I press on toward the goal, the goal, the goal. He's only got one on his list. You know how old he is when he writes this? This book, Philippians, was one of the last books he wrote. Uh, first and second, uh, Timothy were the last two books that he wrote. And this is probably the one right before that. He's in prison when he writes it in Rome. And so uh, it's estimated by most commentators he's about 65. And uh, uh, 64, 65, 66. And he lives about a year after writing this before he's martyred by Nero. That's the tradition that Nero cuts his head off, beheads him in prison when he's about 65 to 67 years of age. So he's a little behind me as he writes this in the sense of age. He said, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us therefore, as many as are perfect. So there's some that are. Have this attitude, and if in, any, in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. So he said, I press on toward the goal. What is the goal? To become perfect. Forgetting everything else, this one thing I do, I press on toward the goal, the goal of being perfect. Number one in your notes, to be perfect is to be like Jesus Christ in character. To be perfect doesn't mean to be sinless, but it's talking about his character, that he has grown up inside the part, uh, if I die, about halfway through this sermon, if I get too excited and uh, have a heart attack and fall over dead, you can come up and kick me, but there won't be anybody home. It'll just be the outside. Uh, Peter calls it the tent. We live in a tent. The real me is on the inside, and I will be in the presence of Jesus. The real me uh, has the capacity to grow, to acquire character. And so there is a point at which we become perfect like Christ in character, and in fact we're commanded to be perfect, so it is a goal that is achievable. It is a goal that is achievable. Matthew 5:48 Therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now God would never command us to do something that was not possible to do. So that's the command, be perfect. Again, that's not sinless. It's grown up, mature in character like that of Jesus. Hebrews 2:10 For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory, speaking of the Father to perfect 
the author of their salvation. That's Jesus. So Jesus was born into this world as a baby, and he had no character. He was flesh, human, just like we are. And so he had to grow. It's, the Bible said he grew in wisdom, he grew in stature, he grew in character. And the Father orchestrated his life, and it says it was fitting for him, through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Jesus became grown-up mature in his character through trials and sufferings. Hebrews 5, 9, and having been made perfect, again speaking of Jesus, having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. James 1, 4, let, us, let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete. Perfect and complete. So that's a re very real goal for me, for you, and uh, James says, when you have trials, consider them a good thing because it's the trials that are working on you that make you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, like him in character. First Peter 5.10, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect. He will make you perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And so, I am pursuing perfection, not in the sense of sinless, mistake-free, but I am pressing on toward the goal of me, the real me, on the inside, growing and becoming like Christ in character. Second Peter 1, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature, that is, you become like Jesus Christ in character. Partakers of the divine nature by the power and the promises, the principles that God supplies in His Word, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So, write out 73 goals. I'm now pursuing them. One of my goals is to become perfect in character like Jesus is. Now, I didn't word it that way uh, because I share them with other people and I didn't think other people would quite get it. Uh, they might think, that's a bit arrogant. <laughs> uh, it's not arrogant, but it is biblical to pursue perfection in the sense of character, inside person, to be like Jesus. And so the Bible gives us clear details on how to grow, how to become mature, and how to become like Christ in character. Number two in your notes, what and who we are in our character the moment we enter into the presence of Jesus is who we are. So over the last 40 years of preaching, I don't think there's anything that I have said more often than that statement. And I don't know that I ever say it that I don't get somebody that gives me some pushback on it. And uh, so the average believer, if you were to go to church after church after church after church after church and, and then do a little conversation, do a survey and say, so when you die and you enter into heaven, and you're like halfway where you ought to be. Does God fix you? Does He make you 
in a moment of time like Jesus, the average person will say, yes. So do you know what that does to life? It makes it a joke. There's no purpose. James says, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let its endurance have its perfect result, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If God's just going to zap me and fix me when I get there, then why would I consider it joy when I go through a trial? What would be the reason for that? I'm going to get fixed anyway. I'm going to be made whole anyway. So why make the effort? Why press on toward the goal? of becoming perfect if that's what you're going to have happen to you, and God's going to just do it in spite of who you are and where you are in your growth. So, <clears throat> how much character did Adam have when God created him? He had the same amount that a baby has when they're born. So the principle, character is not created Character is not created. Not even God can create character. He can make a person in his image and in his likeness that has the potential to grow in character, to become like Jesus. Even Jesus, when he was born, had no character, grew in character, became perfect in character through life. So God creates us as in, in his image, capable of growing, changing. we not guaranteed that we will. And then he orchestrates life in such a way that everything is designed by God to cause us to become like Jesus in character. But we cooperate with the process. The very first thing that we have to do is want it, want it so that we press on, press on toward the goal of becoming like Jesus. Now, the reason most Christians don't is because they don't think it matters. It's no big deal. If I'm still in character like a two-year-old or the character of a grown-up, when I enter into heaven, it doesn't matter. That's where the average believer is in their theology, and because it doesn't matter in their thinking, they don't see much need to grow, to pay the price that is required in order to grow. Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Why? When he came up with this purpose statement, let's make man in our image and in our likeness. What was the motive? Why did God do that? Number three in your notes, the intimacy and relationship that we have with Jesus in eternity is based on our likeness to him. So he created us for fellowship. He was going to increase his family from the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit to the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the church, the Bride of Christ. And so he created us for fellowship. And the more like him we are, the more intimate our fellowship. The more like him we are, the more intimate our fellowship. It's based on our likeness to him. Revelation 3.16, so because you're lukewarm... Neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Is that talking about fellowship? No, it's talking about no fellowship. Revelation 3.19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. 
Why? What's the motive? He wants us to become like him. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, will dine with him, he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So if we were having a cup of coffee and uh, we decided to talk theology. I can say seven times in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, it says, to him who overcomes, to him who overcomes, seven times. What does that mean, to overcome? Does that mean to become a believer in Jesus Christ? Does that mean to be born again? Does that mean to have faith uh, in the gospel, to be an overcomer? What does overcome mean? The Greek word is nikeo. It's where we get the word Nike. It means to be a champion, a conqueror, or a winner. So becoming a born-again Christian has nothing to do with overcoming. It has nothing to do with being a champion, being a winner. Salvation is by faith, and faith alone, no works required. So the, the, the statement in Revelation in seven different churches that are written to where he makes this statement, he who overcomes... Here's what you get. I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame, sat down with my father on his throne. He was an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That means pay attention to this. This is important stuff. If you are an overcomer, you get the privilege of sitting with Jesus on his throne. That means you get to hang out with Jesus for eternity. You get to fellowship with him. You get to talk fishing with him or whatever. So what about the non-overcomers? What about those that are believers? No works required, but they're lukewarm. Jesus said, because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Those whom I love, I discipline and reprove so that they will grow in character. And if you overcome, you will have the privilege of sitting with me on my throne. So the fact is, is if when our church is full on a Sunday morning, if we knew, if we could see inside every person and see their heart, and we would ask the question from God's perspective, who out there are overcomers? When they stand before Jesus, who is it that he will say to them, you are an overcomer, you get to sit with me on my throne. There's going to be a whole lot of believers that are not, that are lukewarm whom he spits out of the mouth. It has nothing to do with being kicked out of heaven. It simply means that when we get there, there will be levels of intimacy with Christ. Some will be close to him, some will not. Mark 3.13, he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted they came to him, and he appointed 12 so that they would be with him. So life illustrates eternity. Life illustrates spiritual truth. Who was closer to Jesus than anybody? The Apostle John. He was called the Beloved. He was put in charge of taking care of Jesus' mother. He got to do things in relationship to Jesus that no one else did. And who was next? Peter and James. 
Peter, James, and John got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They got to do a number of things that none of the other disciples did. They were in that inner circle. Then there was the eleven. How many got sent out by pairs? There were 70 that were called the disciples that got commissioned and gave, given authority to raise the dead to cast out demons. In the upper room, when the Holy Spirit came and the church started, how many were in the upper room? 120. When Jesus was raised from the dead and he, is, and he went around and appeared to people, showed them his resurrected body and chatted with individuals during the 40-day 40 40 period in which he was on the earth after rising, rising from the dead before, between the ascension. How many people got to see Jesus physically alive after he rose from the dead? 500. So, if John, Peter, James, and John, the 11, the 70, the 120, the 500. So what exists, what existed on the earth when Jesus was here as a man will also exist in eternity. The disciples were arguing over who was going to sit at the right hand of Jesus, and he didn't say, no, 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 no. You're all the same. He didn't say that. He said, if you want to sit on the right hand of me, here's how. You want to be first in the kingdom of heaven, you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, then you become last here. In the sense, you become a servant to, to everybody. He didn't deny the fact. He just uh, dealt with the motive, the method of how that would happen in their life. For the more like him we are, the more we will enjoy him, the more he will enjoy us. We are created for joy by God who is the ultimate source of joy. But when we get to heaven, there will be a huge gap between the one that experiences the greatest level of joy and the one who experiences the least amount of joy. Now, we have this sort of naive thinking about heaven is that it's just a happy place. And it's sort of across the board with everybody. Now, there's some givens. Obviously, you're going to have a glorified body, and there's going to be no death and no war and no politics and no elections and no COVID. So that's going to be cool. But we have this capacity for joy that just the circumstances doesn't even come close to producing Psalm 1611, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. Now that means that the closer you are to him, the more joy you have. And there will be some that are very close to Jesus sitting on his throne, sitting at his right hand, fellowshipping with him, and there will be those that are far away. I've actually had people say to me, I don't care. Long as I'm not in hell and heaven, that's all I care about. Again, it's sort of a naive way of thinking that if God has made this promise and has had them all, everything that we need in order to grow, that we would simply just turn our nose up at that and say, I don't care. That eternity is a long time. And there's a huge gap between top and bottom and the amount of joy that we receive and the amount of glory that we receive. Psalms 97, 11, light is sown like seed for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Be glad in the Lord, you righteous ones, and give thanks to his holy name. 
Gladness and joy come from Him there in His presence. Number five, eternity is a place of joy, but some will have much more joy than others because of the maturity they have in character. <clears throat> so, Paul said, I press on toward the goal of the high calling of Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal of becoming as much like him as I possibly can. I press on toward the goal of becoming perfect. What was driving Paul? He wanted to be as close to Jesus as he possibly could in this life. The Beatitudes was the summary statement of all that Jesus preached as you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it says he went every, every place preaching, there's not much that says exactly what he preached except the Beatitudes is the, the most complete uh, content uh, of what he actually said. And Matthew 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word blessed means happy, joyful. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. For your reward in heaven is great. What is that? Joy. Rejoice and be glad because when you get to heaven, you're going to experience incomprehensible joy because you're going to be very, very near Jesus. Number six, the closeness and intimacy of our relationship with Jesus here in this life is what it will be in the next So Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. So dining. Uh, I take my wife out on a date pretty regularly, and about three-quarters of the time we go out to eat. It's just enjoyable to go to a restaurant. She sits on that side of the table. I sit on this side. I talk. She talks. I ask questions. She asks questions. We just have a great time, and we eat food in the process. It's just sort of a picture of intimacy. And Jesus says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and dine with you and you with me. Then he goes on immediately saying, he who overcomes... I will grant him, I will give him the reward of being able to sit with me on my throne for all of eternity. He'll hang out with me. So that's a fairly easy question to ask and answer ourselves is how close am I to Jesus Christ right now? And how mature in character am I right now? And have I grown? Have I changed in character? Uh, in the year 2020 with all that's happened and take place. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result, that you might be perfect and complete, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We have had a perfect environment for growth to become perfect in character if we've taken advantage of it. So let me read to you the passage 
prior to the one I read to you to start with, Philippians 3, 7 through 12. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things, everything, to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing, knowing, he's not intellectual knowing about him facts, but knowing him personally, intimately. The value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, count them but rubbish, garbage, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That resurrection is not general resurrection. It's talking about being one of those who sit at the right hand of Jesus on his throne. Not that I've already obtained it or I've already become perfect. That is like Jesus in character. I press on, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. You know, that'd be an excellent passage for you to memorize. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 16. It's an amazing statement that Paul makes about his life. Everything in life is loss, garbage, in view of the one goal of knowing Jesus and becoming like him in character. Forgetting everything else, I press on toward the goal, the goal of the high calling of becoming like Christ in character, to become like him in every way. Number seven, the key to rapid character growth in this life is pressing on. It's pressing on. So having pastored for 44 years and talked to a lot of people, preached to a lot of people, counseled a lot of people, leadership class with a lot of people, I ask and answer the question, how many people are there that really truly press on with what Paul is saying, forgetting everything else, this one thing I do, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus that I might become like him in character. Not many do. And the reason is because they're not motivated. Why? Why should I? And because the average individual doesn't think that who they are in character the day they die or the day Jesus comes is that big a deal, they don't. But if you do, and I do, and I don't want to be... Uh, Last, I don't want to even be in the middle. I'd like to be really close to Jesus. So what I am in this life in character, the closeness that I have with him in life in reality, that's what's going to determine where I am with Jesus forever and ever and ever. Philippians 3 again, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ, more than that I count all things to be loss Let's see, I jumped to, uh, um, I, okay, I, sorry. Philippians 12, I was one page behind. Not that I've already obtained it, obtained it, it, that is a perfect Christ-like character, or I've already become perfect, but I press on, I press on 
so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Why did Jesus lay hold of me? Why is it that he died for me? So that I might become like him in character. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. So Paul's 64, 65 years of age. He's got a year left. He said, I'm not there yet. But he had a sense from his writing that the end wasn't far away. So I imagine he was pressing hard. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Hebrews 6.1, therefore leaving, <clears throat> therefore leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Why? If he's just going to zappo fixo you when you get to the end of your life, this verse, just cut it out of your Bible. There's no reason to do it. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Only one receives the prize. Only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things in every area of their life. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, we an imperishable. What's the imperishable? What's the prize? Run in such a way that you may win the prize. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim, without, not without purpose, without uh, meaning. I box in such a way as not beating the air. I discipline my body, make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I won't be disqualified. Disqualified from what? He's not getting kicked out of heaven. But he may not be one of those that sits with Jesus. So he said, I'm running the race with a purpose. I run to win. I run to be like Christ. I run so that I can be with Christ in his presence, immediate presence, forever and ever and ever. Second Peter 1.5, now for this very reason, also applying all diligence, all diligence, that means all diligence, that means work really hard. In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your faith, that is, I believe and trust in Jesus Christ as God, as the one who became flesh, as the one who became my sin, died on the cross for my sin, died in my place, was buried and rose again. That's faith. In your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. Those are character traits. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind, short-sighted. That means naive, stupid. Having forgotten his purification from his, from his former sins, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent, diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance, entrance, into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. Your entrance into heaven will be abundantly supplied to you. So what if it's not abundantly supplied to you? What's the difference? Diligence, diligence, add to your faith, character trait after character trait after character trait. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless or unfruitful. And on the day that you enter into glory, you will be ushered in abundantly. 
abundantly supplied to you. Eight, our thinking that just getting into heaven is good enough and all that really matters kills our attitude of pressing on. <clears throat> that is such a major problem in the church. We've emphasized grace, 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 grace. And grace is what you get you in, but diligence, press on toward the goal, want it. 1 Corinthians 3.12, now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work, each man's work, not talking salvation here. Each man's work will become evident the day, that's the day we stand before Jesus will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. The fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward, a reward forever, eternal. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as through fire. That means you're saved with nothing. Everything is burned up. You enter heaven smelling like smoke, as it were. And so you have no character, no rewards, and Jesus sitting on his throne and the circles, concentric circles of those who are fellowshipping with him, and you're on the outside. You're on the outside. <clears throat> Number nine, if we are one of those who is coasting, God will reveal to us the need to press on, but we need to pay attention, get it. In other words, he'll kind of slap you around a little bit, say, hey, wake up, get with it. You're running out of time. Philippians 3, 12 through 16 again. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect. I'm not there yet, but I press on. I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude and if in anything you have a different attitude, different attitude, that would be, ah, it doesn't matter. Long as I'm not in the lake of fire, that, I don't care. If any of you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we've attained. It might be that, eh, just tonight's sermon is what God is intending to use. But we have to pay attention. Number 10, rules, guidelines, goals, standards are not legalism. So I get so much pushback from people when I start talking about goals. Ha, huh, we're saved by grace. We're not talking about getting into heaven. We're talking about standing before Jesus and being rewarded. We're talking about character becoming like him so that we can be close to him forever. We're talking about the glory that he's going to give to those who have served well. 
Rules, guidelines, goals, standards are not legalism. They are tools that serious people use to grow to become like Jesus. So did we get that last one up there? There we go. That up there before? Rules, guidelines, goals, standards. They're tools. So after the service, I could walk up and say, are you starting on your goals for next year? I mean, it's October. November is coming in a couple of days. November, December. You've got to have a little time to think and write. If January 1 is your starting finish date for your goals, you thinking about it at all? Goals? Yeah, I don't do goals. You don't? Why would any serious person who wants to grow to become like Jesus not do goals? Are you perfect already? Paul says, I'm not yet but I press on. So Paul was about 65 when he wrote that. I'm 72. <laughs> I know I'm way behind where Paul was. I mean, Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He got to take a tour of heaven. I can't believe how mature he must have been. But he still wasn't there yet, so I got to do some work. Uh, I'd like to do a whole bunch before next year's birthday. So, question, how are you doing with this whole attitude thing? Paul says, if any of you have a different attitude, that is complacency, apathy, ah, I'm in, good enough. Um, is it one of forgetting yesterday, I press on to the goal, for the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want to be more than I am. I want to do more than I've done. I want to be as close to Jesus as is possible in the time I have left, however much time that is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for creating us in your image and in your likeness, creating us with the capacity to grow, to become like you in character. And Lord, as much as you want that, as much as you have provided everything that's needed for that to happen, we still have to cooperate with the process. We have to be those who press on, who press on, who are diligent, who work hard, because we want, we want you. We would say with the Apostle Paul, I consider everything in life to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing you. Pray that you would work in each of our hearts and that we would be delivered from complacency and apathy. And Lord, we would be those who are hot and we're pressing on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We want to be perfect as you are. We want to be like you so that we can enjoy you for all eternity and you can enjoy us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.